Amen. It is so good to see so many of you out. And um, I know some of you came back from Rosarito, so I know that you're... <clears throat> what time did you guys get back? 1.30 or 2. Aye, aye, aye. Well, I'm glad to be back. I've been gone, like, seems like forever. And in one week, I counted, well, in actually six days, I slept in six different beds. That's how much I was traveling. I was just going from one place to another, to another, to another. And so I got to Rosarito, and then I was like in the same one. But it was like really, really crazy for, for a while there, going to the Spanish retreat. And I just, and then going, um, then from there I went to my mom's, and from my mom's I went to my in-laws, and from my in-laws I went to my son's. From my son's I went to Rosarito. It was just really crazy. But anyway, I'm just, I was so glad to just stay in my own bed last night. It was like. Yes. And then last night I woke up in the middle of the night and I go, where am I? <laughs> I know some of you don't know what that feels like, but it's a crazy feeling to wake up and not know where you are. Because it was so pitch black last night and I, and I was like, where, where am I? And I, I really kind of looked around and like, okay, oh, I'm home. <laughs> so it was so, so good to just be home. And um, Anyway, I found some jokes. They're, they're, they're balanced, okay? They're balanced. I'm glad to see Christian and Bossy and Chucky and Chica and Daryl and Gloria here. And, uh, see, who's the oldest married couple here? Who's been married, like, no, okay, not in age. Not in age, in years. Like, who's been married, like, 25 years? Okay, what about, that's 27? Um, who else, wait, 26? Who else? 31? 31? No, no, yeah, because you were married 30. You were like, they got married a week before my husband and I, so I, I could track them. <laughs> I know exactly what, where they're at. Um, yeah, so, oh, they're the longest ones, huh? All right. That's great. Okay. Um, some of them you might have already heard because I might have already said them, but they're just, they're all compiled together, so I just thought I would read them. <clears throat> it says, um, a couple was driving down a country road for several miles, not saying a word. An earlier discussion had led to an argument, and neither of them wanted to concede their position. As they passed a barnyard of mules, goats, and pigs, the husband asked sarcastically, relatives of yours? Yep, the wife replied, in-laws. Here's another one. Cash, check, or charge, I asked, after folding the items the woman wished to purchase. As she fumbled for her wallet, I noticed a remote control for a TV set in her purse. Do you always carry your TV remote, I asked? Nope. But my husband didn't want to come shopping with me, so I figured this was the most evil thing I could do to him <laughs> legally. <laughs> I'm not giving you ideas, okay? Don't, don't take it serious. 
Hey, I remember when I used to be the remote control. Anybody remember that? You, you know, you just had to station yourself there and change it whenever my dad wanted to change it. It was like, okay, you can't even see the TV, but I remember being the remote. Okay, this is a man's perspective on understanding women. He says, I know I'm never going to understand a woman. I'll never understand how you can take boiling hot wax, pour it onto your leg, rip the hair out by the root, and still be afraid of a spider. This is on words. A husband read an article to his wife about how many words women use a day, 30,000 to a man's 15,000. The wife replied, the reason has to be because we have to repeat everything to men. <laughs> the husband then turned to his wife and said, what? <laughs> okay, last one. And this one I told before, but I really like this one because um, it just, I really like it. <clears throat> a man and his wife were having some problems at home and were giving each other the silent treatment. Not anybody in this room, but, you know, in this joke. Suddenly, the man realized that the next day he would need his wife to wake him up at 5 a.m. for an early morning business flight. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence and lose... He wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. He left it where he knew she would find it. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover it was 9 a.m. and he had missed his flight. Furious, he was about to go and see why his wife hadn't woke him up when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. The, pipe, the paper said, it is 5 a.m., wake up. The moral of the story is men are not equipped for these kind of contests. <laughs> that is too funny. I think uh, you're, you, you must be, oh no, Geronimo and Angelica, you're the youngest ones? Take this and run with it. And then I think you guys are right after them. Amen. I want to share with you today on... Um, some myths of marriage, and I, I thank God that um, I'm actually ready now to be able to share a lot on marriage, and <clears throat> it's just taken me three years to get to the point where I could share uh, on it, and I am not, um, I am not just able to share the good times, but I'm able to share some of the hard times in order to be able to help you. And um, we had, I would, I would call our marriage a really, really good marriage. We had a, um, we had a, 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 I, he was a good man. Bottom line, he was a very, very good man. I was really, really blessed. That didn't mean that it was easy just because he was a good man. It was, an, it was not easy at all. It was very, very hard work. <clears throat> Him coming from uh, a drug addict background with everything that went with that drug addiction and me coming from a non-drug addict background uh, and meshing those two together were not always easy. We, had, uh, we were married with different values. Um, we had different um, 
ideas of how things should be. He had his background that influenced his opinion. I had my background that influenced my opinion. Uh, he was very strong. I was very strong. Um, and just try to mesh, mesh those two things together and, you know, we had some fireworks. And some were great and some were not so great. <laughs> some were, you know, um, we had some real good fireworks in our marriage that were a blessing. And then there were some fireworks that uh, were like deadly. But uh, we were able to work it out. And that's really kind of what I want to share. Um, some of the things that we think um, are deadly for our marriage, but they're not necessarily deadly. And that's why I'm calling them myths of marriage. And part of the difficulty of marriage is that the only training we get for marriage is pretty much on the job. And it's like nobody gives you tools and say, you know, like if you were going to build a house or you were going to build um, anything, they would give you the tools or there's a place to go and buy the tools so you could build what you're going to build. The only place and the only uh, thing that you don't have are tools to build in your marriage. You just kind of learn as you go. And that's really the hard time that we have. Um, you know, everybody's in a, when you go to a wedding, they're crying. And they're like, oh, this is so beautiful. But nobody gives you the tools to go on from there. Nobody says, here's the tool that you're going to be able to use when you go through something difficult. Here is the tool that you're going to be able to use when you have your first fight. Here's the tool. They don't give you none of that. And, and uh, they just say, get in there, have fun, get the job done, and just don't kill yourself. Or the other person. <laughs> and that's pretty much the start of marriages. But um, most of the the skills that we learn from relating to each other um, and the skills that we learn in order to continue our relationship and growing in our marriage are, are hard-earned. They're very, very hard-earned tools. And some of the things that we believe are not true. A lot of them have to do with maybe some of us have uh, parents who separated or divorced, or we have aunts and uncles or cousins. We have other people of influence in our life, and we don't actually ever know what happened. All we know is that they're no longer together. And sometimes we learn some lessons, and they're incorrect ones, or they're not totally, totally true. And there are things that we even lie to ourselves about, and that's really what I want to talk about today, the lies that we tell ourselves in our marriage. And and the stories that we have believed, and to a point, we haven't really given them up. So that's what I want to talk to you, the, the myths of marriage. And if you find yourself in that kind of a situation this morning where you have believed this, and I hope that you will change the tool in order for you to continue to grow in your marriage. The first myth that I wanted to address is the myth that says marriage shouldn't be this hard. Because this lie leads to, because it's this hard, maybe we shouldn't be married. There is a powerful story that most men and women believe. And this story or this lie or this myth is that people assume that good marriages 
are easy. They assume that there is no struggle. Man, you just see them and people, you know, I remember so clearly, some of you who have been here for a while and you remember Yvonne, she used to be uh, my secretary, or actually my, both my husband and my secretary for about nine years. And um, probably about two years ago, she called and I, she moved to Kentucky and I haven't seen her or heard from her in years. And somehow she remembered my number and she just called after two years and, you know, like we went back and forth like, well, who is this? I don't know anybody from Kentucky, you know. <laughs> That's like bluegrass state. Who lives over there anyway? And, and I, you know, she had, she had left. She had met somebody and um, he wasn't saved and she fell in love and moved away and I never heard from her after that. So anyway, she calls and, uh, and I was, wow, how are you doing? And we're going back and forth and she said, well, I know after all these years I haven't been in touch with you, but I just called to tell you that I'm very, very angry with you. And I was like, I haven't even seen her for all these years. And, and I said, you are? I said, you know, I am so sorry. I, what, what did I do? I, you know, I was like dumbfounded. I just didn't know what to say. And she goes, I, I, she goes I, I've been holding this and holding this, and you're the only person that I could tell that I'm just angry. And I said, okay, so you want to tell me what you're angry about? She goes, I am so angry that you and Pastor Steve made marriage look so easy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, what do you mean? She goes, you know, because she was around us a lot. She was around my home and with my children, and, and she, she was just actually part of the family for many, many years. And she said, you made marriage look easy. She goes, it's not. And I said, I know it's not. She goes, no, but you never acted like it was hard. You never treated it like it was difficult. You guys just flowed. And I said, well, you don't really know how much work we had to put into it. And she said, I've been trying to put those principles that I saw you do, put them into work. She goes, but it's just not that easy. And I go, no, it's never easy. It's just not that easy. And, and this, this lie that marriage shouldn't be hard makes people think that maybe this isn't the right person. Maybe I made a mistake. There is no belief that marriages just don't work. There is, there is no relationship that I can tell you that I have known in all of my years, including my parents, that there is no relationship that doesn't come without work. If you look at the story of turtles, there is an annual sea turtle nesting that goes on. And this, uh, this nesting that takes place is when a large mother turtle comes out from the beach and goes all the way above the high tide mark. And I don't know how many of you have ever been at the beach when it's high tide. In fact, we were just there. I took my office staff and, uh, and we were there at high tide and it, uh, it just came in all of a sudden and all these people got flooded out because it just came up all of a sudden. So a sea turtle comes up even above the high tide, which is a long way for a turtle to do. And they come 
and they dig a hole 18 inches deep into the sand and then they lay a large group of eggs. And then the eggs are left there to develop and to hatch a, for a couple of months. Now, this is the interesting thing about this turtle, that those turtles, which are probably about three inches long, once they hatch, they have to make the trek from way up on high tide all the way back to the beach by themselves. And the long trek for the mother is long, but for a baby, man, it's like forever. It just, because they're only three inches, a mother turtle's huge. And it's long, long, long for the baby turtle. And if you have ever been and watched those turtles, there's so many times where people actually pick up the little turtles because they feel sorry for them. They're so small. It's like, man, the beach is way out there. You're never going to get there. So they actually pick them up and they take them to the beach. And then they, they, uh, they let them swim from there. And Sometimes people want to help, and they want to pick you up, and they want to take you to the beach. But those helpers that pick up the turtles and take them over to the beach have ensured their death. Because that long trek from the high tide mark all the way down to the beach, the movement is what helps to develop the muscles in their rudder, in their fins. If they cannot develop those muscles, then they can't swim. And so how difficult it is to go from high tide all the way to the beach, that's how difficult it is sometimes for our marriages to get from high tide all the way to flowing. But you can't get there by somebody picking you up and moving you because it will ensure your death. You have to develop the muscles that it's going to take to make this marriage work. There is going to be some struggles, but those struggles are necessary for you to survive. When we struggle together, we develop the skills that it's going to take to work together. The real task is not to have a marriage that's easy. I know we all wish that we would have had you know, easy marriages. But the real task is learning how to allow the struggles to move you together and not apart. Because the, the statistics, we, could all, we all know the statistics. The statistics say that almost half, almost 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's the statistics. But what they never tell you is that 100% of every marriage has difficulties. Every marriage has difficulties. 50% give up. 50% say, I can't handle this. 50% say, you know what, I made a mistake. 50% say, you know what, it's too much of a struggle. Staying married together is not because there's a lack of difficulties. It's a lack of being able to use those difficulties to strengthen your muscles, to keep your marriage going. So that's myth number one. Myth number two is when a spouse says, you should know what I want and need. You should know. You're married. How long have we been married? 
six months, you should know what I want. And you should definitely know what I need. And that, particularly, that particular myth leads to the lie that says, if you don't know what I want or need, then there's something wrong with our marriage. Now, so many married couples that I've counseled throughout the years have said this. They have said, if my spouse knew, if they knew me and they loved me, they would know what I need. In other words, if my partner loves me so much, they should be able to read my mind. Because that's what you're saying. Why can't they read my mind? Now, I don't know about you, but when I was married, I didn't even know what I wanted. I couldn't figure out what I wanted sometimes because I just knew I wanted something, but I didn't know. And yet I expected my husband to know all the time what I needed. And I didn't even know what I needed or what I wanted. Sometimes it takes me a while even to know what I want or even understand what I want. How many times have we expected our spouse to know and understand what we want? And we don't even know. Sometimes we're hot, sometimes we're cold. Sometimes we're hungry, sometimes we're full. And you know, there were times when my husband used to want to feed me all the time, constantly. And, uh, and I was like, no, I'm not hungry. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, or he would tell me how I was supposed to feel. And I'm like, I don't feel like that. Yes, you do. No, I don't. And we'd just go back and forth. Sometimes we, you know, we think that, that my spouse should know what I want and they know what I need. And, and we expect them to understand us better than we understand ourselves. We're asking them to do impossible stuff. Sometimes what we're not aware of is that in our marriages, we're a moving target. Nothing ever stays the same. From the day you got married, no matter if you've been married just a few months or you've been married years, you have changed. You have definitely changed. What you want and what you need is a moving target. The hard part about being married is that what worked for you last month doesn't work for you this month. What you, what you liked, I mean, some of you, you have changed even in the way, the things that you like to eat. You used to like this, now you can't stand it. And just when you think you know, I used to think I had Steve all figured out. Just when I thought I had him figured out, he changed on me. And I was like, what? Why can't you just stay the same? Why can't you just, you know, like the same thing all the time? And he's like, I don't like it anymore. You know, and it would be like so frustrating because just when you think you got him down, they go up and change on you. His favorite meal changed you know, 27 times in 27 years. You know, when he would say, oh, man, I love this. And then I would, I would get it, and he was like, oh, well, why didn't you get me this? Because this is what you love. No, I don't like this anymore. I like this. 
it would, he, he would just, you know, he would just change. And I would just call him, uh, my favorite word for him was enigma. An enigma uh, is a, a puzzle, or not, not, not a puzzle, but like um, something you can't figure out. That's what, I was even going to buy him that license plate, enigma, because it's just something you can never figure out. Just when I thought I figured him out, he changed on me. And that was pretty much throughout all of our marriage. And that's how it happens. You never really get your spouse down. You never really kind of figure them out. See, we're creatures of habit. We like to have everything figured out. We like to be able to deal with things in a comfortable way. So when our spouse changes, we, we start going through changes because we're thinking, okay, well, what happened? When did they change? How did they change? Who changed them? And we start going through all of the, you know, and then we begin to start wondering, okay, well, who are they coming in contact with that they changed? And why are they, what are they reading that they changed? And, and you start going through, and you start taking everything personal. You start taking everything personal. The task of marriage is not knowing what your spouse wants or needs. The task or the job of a marriage is to be willing to continue learning what your spouse wants or needs. Not to put them in a box and say, that's the way it is. If they change, the key word is flow. Flow. Because we're constantly growing and we're constantly changing and we're constantly learning. Now, if you want your spouse to understand when you fall short of meeting their need, then you also have to be patient when they don't meet your need. See, sometimes we can be so impatient and so ugly when our spouse doesn't meet our need. We think they should know. I mean, you should already know, and we're so impatient with them. You should have known that I wanted this. You should have known that I expected this. You should have known. And yet, when they don't meet your need, you know, you, you fly off the ceiling. What I'm trying to tell you is that you need to give grace to each other. Lots and lots of grace. Because your spouse will never, ever, and I mean never, ever, be able to meet all the needs in your life. They're not created to meet all of those needs in your life. And if you expect them to, you will be sadly, sadly, sadly let down. I think in the beginning, that's probably what I expected from my husband. I expected him to meet so many needs in my life. And, and I discovered that, you know, here I am, and I was married, and I said, oh, I'm going to be, you know, we're, we're going to just be so close. And we're going to, he's my best friend. And, you know, I could tell him anything, and, and I'll never feel like I'm alone again. And all of these things that were going through my head, and I realized after I got married, I still felt alone. And he, there were things that I couldn't tell him. And, and there were areas in my life that I wasn't feeling trusting enough to be that vulnerable with him. So 
It's like, well, what's the use of having him if he couldn't meet all those needs in my life? Those are the changes that I went through. And I know maybe you don't, but that's what I went through. Realizing that it was going to take time for him to become my best friend. Realizing that it was going to take time for me to build that trust in him where I could learn how to be vulnerable and know that he was still going to love me. Being vulnerable. So, bottom line is, your spouse can't read your mind. Okay, the third myth says we are not compatible. We are not compatible. And this lie leads to, well, if we're not compatible, then we should divorce. Now, we're so overwhelmed with a lot of um, online dating services and commercials and and everybody that says that successful marriages are built on compatibility. We get along. That's why our marriage is so great. But compatibility isn't what you build marriage on. It is not what you build your foundation of marriage on. Because when you assume that you are compatible, then you begin to think that your spouse and you, because we're compatible, we should see things the same way. Well, because we're compatible. And being compatible does not mean you see the world the same way. Because when we think that we should be compatible, we begin to think, if you like me, and I like you, if you love me, and, you, and I love you, we should see things alike. Doesn't happen. Because there is never two people that see things the same way. Never. And compatibility also makes you think that if you are compatible, then you're going to like the same thing. In all of the years of marriage, my husband and I, we liked a few things together. Just a few. We both liked the Dodgers. And that was something that, that we both, you know, we were both sports fanatics. And I could count them on one hand the things that we were actually compatible with. We both loved ministry. We both loved serving God. We both, you know, loved working hard for the Lord. Those are things that we loved. And everything else in our life, was totally opposite. We were not compatible. We were totally, totally opposite in the foods that we liked, in the fun things that we enjoyed to do, in the books that we read, in the TV shows that we watched, in the way we drove, in the way... <laughs> we were like opposites, total opposites. If he wanted to get somewhere like now, I drove. If we wanted to make sure we got there safe, sound, he drove. <laughs> but because compatibility, when we think of compatibility, we think that, well, we, we're going to like similar things, we're going to have similar views, and we're even going to have similar personalities because we're compatible. 
Compatibility has nothing to do with those things. And the reason that it has nothing to do with those things is because as time goes by, we all change. We all change. And when people change, our likes and our dislikes change. And so compatibility, just like what I shared earlier, is also a moving target. You may have started off compatible. I think it took, it took one day for my husband and I to get into our first disagreement after we were married. One day. I didn't know that he was so blind. He really was. He was blind. He could not see. And so we drove from East L.A. all the way to San Francisco, and he drove on those bumps <laughs> all the way. And, and I was mad. I was, would you get off of those bumps? And he's going, what is your problem? I go, get off of those bumps. Why do you have to drive on them? Well, he didn't tell me till years later. <laughs> he couldn't see. And those things were his guide. <laughs> he didn't want to tell me that when we just got married. <laughs> he waited until way later to tell me. And, I, and, you know, every time he saw a car coming, he would, you know, get out of the way, but very little. And then he'd go right back on. And, man, I was mad at him. So I was furious. You know, and then he wouldn't let me drive. And uh, because he didn't like the way he drove. But, you know, <laughs> but we were, you know, and I began to think one day after we got married, maybe we're not compatible. You know, we're not seeing eye to eye anymore. You know, we're not, because, you know, before you're married, oh my gosh, you're so compatible. <laughs> you're so good of a liar <laughs> before you get married. You know, you'll, whatever you, where do you want to eat? Wherever you want to eat. <laughs> well, what movie do you want to see? Whatever movie you want to see. You know, whatever. You'll go whatever. You'll, you'll sit through, you know, football games and baseball games, and you'll pretend like you're interested and you're there, and whatever you want to do, you know. And then after you get married, you're like, Pfft. I ain't doing that. <laughs> I ain't going to sit there with you. Yeah, but uh, I did that before. I ain't got to do that now. I got a ring on, okay? <laughs> I don't got to do that. And that's where you begin to think, maybe we're not compatible. That's not what you were called to be. What you were called to be is complementary, not compatible. Because compatibility, like I said, is a moving target. We change. Complementary is much more important than compatibility. Because to complement each other is really more of a mindset. It's more of the way that you think. Complementary is when you complement each other. Not complement with words, but complement in your actions of when you complement each other, that's when two personalities begin to balance each other out. Because really there's, there's two choices. You can see your differences with your spouse 
as opposites and difficulties, or you can see your differences as an opportunity to complement each other. But it's your choice. Do you choose to see the differences as impossibilities, or do you choose to see your differences as a balance? I made that choice pretty young in our marriage when I realized we were just way, way, way too opposite. It was just, I, it was almost like, I don't even know if this is gonna work, because we're just so opposite. But I remember making a decision within myself that said, because I don't know how, how uh, you deal with your um, difficulties or, or your, your characteristics that are, that are different, but because I was so strong and my husband was so strong, I had to make a decision early in my marriage if we were gonna make it. And the decision that I made was not to compete with him in the same areas that he was strong in. Because in a lot of the areas that he was strong in, I was strong in. And I found myself competing with him. We both loved to be the center of attention. We both loved to have the last word. We both loved to be in front of people. We both loved a lot of things, but I found myself competing instead of completing him. And when I was competing with him, I would always find myself losing. And every time I would lose, I'd be angry. And then who would I take my anger out on? Well, him, of course, because he made me lose. And I hate to lose. Well, that's, that's the other thing we had. I was competing with him because I always wanted to win. Because I, I, when we used to play games or we'd be even in the church, we never played on the same team because I always wanted to win so I could tell him, nah, 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 <laughs> at home. It was just something that, that uh, we, we both had such a competitive nature in us. Being you know, him the oldest of eight and I'm the oldest of nine, it was just such a competitive nature. But it worked against us in the beginning when I let it be my pursuit. When I just began to back off and I began to say, you know what, I, I can't do this. I cannot compete with him. I have to let him shine. And when I began to take that back seat and not try to compete with him, my goal began to be, I need to complete him. And that's why there were many, many marriage scriptures that, um, that I held on to. And one of them was in uh, Proverbs 31 where it says, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her and he will have no need. And I think that's Proverbs 31.20 where that just became my scripture. That was my own personal scripture because I wanted to get to the point where my husband trusted me so explicitly and so completely because I wasn't going to compete with him. You can't 
you can't trust somebody that is in competition with you. You just don't. Because you, you know if they're in competition with you, they want to get over on you. You know, think about it in the world. Would you trust your, comp your, your competitor? Nope. And that's what we were. We were competitors. And I, and I needed to change that. I needed to change that. I don't know how God was dealing with him, but I knew how God was dealing with me. That I could not compete. I needed to complete. And when I got to that point where he would trust me, then I would be able to meet his needs so that the Bible says he would have no need of anything. And that's what I wanted to be. So when it comes to um, the differences in your personalities, the differences in your values, the differences in your life, try to create a balance. Just a balance. Don't compete with your spouse because this is not a win-lose relationship. This is a win-win. And if you compete, somebody always loses. And the sad part about it is that you both lose. You both lose. Nobody wins. You both lose. <clears throat> one of you is always going to be more analytical and more logical, and the other one is always going to be more intuitive and more emotional. That is life. But if you would allow each other to balance each other, in the way that you think, in the way that you make decisions with each other, then you would be able to actually grow in your marriage. There was one specific time, um, and it actually, this process that I'm sharing with you did not happen overnight. It took a long time. Um, some of you were with us when we were on um, Western Avenue. That was probably about 15, about 15 years ago. So at that time, probably about 15, 18 years ago, right around there. So we had already been married about 10 years at least. And, and I remember so clearly when we were on Western Avenue, I was not for going into Western Avenue. I was not for that decision at all. And I had not yet gotten to the point where I was quiet. I was very vocal about my stand, that I was not for this. And I said all the reasons because of the landlady, because of the work, because of the money, because of this, because of that, because of this. And and, um, and my husband always had me in the minister's meetings, and um, Lenny remembers, and I'm sure quite a number. And every time he had minister's meetings, he always wanted me there because I was kind of like, I guess, the balancer. Because I, I was always vocal, too. And so anyway, he brought it out one time. And, um, and he was talking about this building. And, um, and so he turned to me, and I've always had this thing, i got to be honest. I got to be on, I got to be truthful, you know, and so I was, and I said, you know what, and, and all the men are, are there, and, um, 
and he said, uh, so what do you think? And I told him, I'm not for it. You know, I, I don't, it's not going to work. And, and I stated all my reasons, again, that I already had told him, but I stated it now in front of everybody. And in front of everybody, my husband also put me in my place. And he said, when are you just going to learn how to come under? When are you going to learn just to back me up in whatever I do? And I was like, whoa. And there's a lot of other stuff that he said. But he said it in front of everybody. Well, actually, not everybody, just all of the men. And I don't know if you remember that, but it was, it was like a... Uh, he's, he, always, he always put me in my place. And, uh, and so after that, I just like, psh, I got wounded. I got hurt. I got put in my place. But then I went to prayer. And I remember God telling me, you did that to yourself. You did it. And so after I went to prayer and I, and I you know, let out all my frustration and my anger to the Lord... I went to him, and the only ones that knew that I wasn't for it was just that group of ministers. Nobody else knew. And I went to him, and I apologized, and I said, you know, from this day forward, I will never not follow your leadership and whatever you do. And I said, whatever you want to do, I'm there. And he was like, he already had, you know, like 10 years of bucking. So he, uh, he was like, all right, we're going to see. So he just said, well, we're going to test out the waters here. So he said, okay, I, I want you to, to, to beautify the church. And we're going to do this. And I said, okay. And, and what else? He goes, and I want you to, you know, make sure all the offices are decorated, and I want this, and I want that. And he gave me a whole list of stuff. And, and I can tell you that there was not one person outside of that circle who knew how I really felt. Not one person was able to detect that I was not behind him. And, and we went full force, and, and God did some great things in that church while we were on Western. We grew, I mean, it was just, that's the time that Daryl came in, and he put the carpet in, and he was, and uh, some of you came in during that time. I think, Bossy, you came in? Yeah, because you went into the home then. Uh, we started the women's home, and that's where she was at. And so it was a lot of things that happened, a lot of great things that happened during that time in Western. It took five years of us being in that church, five years for everything that I had said that was going to happen, to happen. But for five years, God blessed, God moved, God did wonderful things. But it took five years for everything that I said, that this, 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 you know, and just somehow I knew five years before. So when everything started happening and it all started unfolding, I didn't say a word. I didn't say nothing because it was like, oh, my God. And it was worse than I had even said it was going to be. This lady was like, she was horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, 
And it was just like the Lord had given me a discerning of spirits way back then. And, um, but she, she didn't manifest. It took her five years to manifest everything that I had seen in her. And anyway, everything came out, and um, she took us to court. I mean, it was just ugly, 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 ugly. And after it was all over, and I never said a word to my husband. I never told him, I told you, you would have listened to me. We wouldn't be in this position. And it was just really, really an ugly thing. It was very humiliating for him. That's one of the other reasons I was like, I, I, he needed me to back him up to just encourage him. And after that ordeal, he came to me and he said, I will never make another decision unless you're with me. So it's like what I decided five years before, the Lord gave him five years later. And after that point, we never made a decision that we were not in agreement. If either one of us wasn't totally 100%, then we would wait, and we wouldn't do it. But the heartache that it took to get to that place is because we learned that I wasn't there to compete with him. I wasn't there to tell him, I told you so. I was there to complete him. And so we learned how to complete each other but he had to learn how to trust me. He wouldn't have trusted me the more I was competing with him. He wouldn't have trusted me if I hadn't just let, let go and let God do the work. The more I tried to change him, the more he resisted. And the more I let go, the more God did a work in his life. When you begin to think that you need to be compatible, then you begin to deep down hope that that person that you're married to never changes. Because that's what compatibility works off of, that people don't change. And that is not spiritual, godly, or human. Humanly possible. We change. We change what we like, we change what we dislike. We change what we think, and we change what we believe. And if you did want that person to stay the exact same way, then you would not have any growth in your marriage. You would not have any opportunity for growth in love, for growth in your relationship. You would not have a healthy relationship if you did not change. So that's why compatibility is not what you so seek, it's not what you look for, it's complementary. Another myth, are you getting something out of this? Okay, good. Another myth is that communication is the main problem in our marriage. And this leads to the lie of if we communicated better, we'd be happy. Now, communication is the main problem in our marriage, which leads to the lie that if we communicated better, we'd be happy. And this is a myth that the self-help, are you um, taping this? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you tell me. No. 
Um, now, uh, this is the myth, this communication myth is found in every self-help book in the bookstore. That communication is the key. There are so many couples that have, I have counseled throughout the years that just come in and say, we don't communicate. She don't listen to me, I don't listen to her. And when they're telling me and I'm listening to them, I understand them pretty good. Because they can communicate that pretty good to me. And yet, I know they've told each other the same things, but they don't listen. A lack of communication skills is very rarely the problem. Um, matter of fact, for some of us, if we learned how to communicate better, all we do is fight better. <laughs> communication is like plumbing. Imagine your house with your pipes going in and your pipes going out. And what you need to look at is that your pipes are really just a delivery device. They deliver fresh water in and they deliver waste out. And that's pretty much how your pipes work. So the purpose of pipes is to bring things into the house and take things out of the house. And when your plumbing is attached correctly, you get fresh water. When your plumbing is attached correctly, your waste leaves your house. But if you don't plumb right, you're going to have a mess on your hands. I'm getting feedback now. Um, most people don't have problem with the plumbing. They have the problem or they lack the skills of bringing this stuff in, which is listening and getting stuff out, which is talking. We don't take in like we should, listen, and we don't give out like we should, talking. Most of the time we just hold it in and hold it in and hold it in, and our plumbing is getting backed up and backed up and backed up so that when it does happen, the plumbing's all messed up now. The plumbing is not bringing in fresh water. The plumbing is bringing out waste. It's bringing out garbage because there hasn't been a continual refreshing of the plumbing. The only way that you're going to keep your plumbing fresh is your relationship with God. When your relationship with God is not the way it should be, your plumbing begins to get disconnected. And you're no longer having that fresh plumbing this way. Your plumbing begins to get confused with the plumbing that's supposed to go out. It gets confused with what's supposed to come in. And you're taking in garbage, and you're giving out garbage. You got to keep your plumbing straight. That's why it's not communication. Communication is not the problem. We put too much 
importance on communication. We know how to communicate. Communication is, we communicate every day. We all communicate every day. The only problem is we don't listen. We just don't listen. And so if you think that if you communicated better, you'd be happier, no. That's not the issue, and that will never be the issue. The issue is how we listen. We listen with filtered ears. We only pick out the things that we want to hear, and everything else we throw away. But you got to make sure that your plumbing's clean first. Make sure your pipes are clean before you start giving out. Because when you don't give out through clean pipe, you're going to have a mess on your hands. The next myth is that my spouse should make me happy. My spouse should make me happy, and this lie leads to it's my spouse's fault I'm not happy. Now, this is an impossible situation. Impossible. Because you have two people who are both expecting that the other person is supposed to make them happy. Look at your spouse and tell me, you cannot make me happy. Okay, now, I'm going to change it. Okay, you're just saying right now, you cannot make me happy, but, but, <laughs> I think I woke some of you up. <laughs> What you need to understand about your marriage is that, and, and I, don't want, I don't want you to misunderstand me when, I, when I, I just told you to tell your spouse that, because a relationship does affect the happiness and the well-being of both you and your spouse. But the reality is, is that while we have the power to make someone miserable, and we do that, it is impossible to make someone else happy. We can make them miserable, but we can't make them happy. We just can't. Now, when we try to make someone else responsible for our happiness, two things happen. Number one, the first thing when you expect your spouse to make you happy is that you make yourself powerless. I have no power to, to be happy. Everything depends on them. I did this. I did this in my marriage. If my husband was happy with me, I was happy. If my husband was mad at me, I was miserable. And yet, and this was the ironic thing, if I was mad at him, he was still happy, <laughs> which would really make me mad. How could he be happy? I'm mad at him. He could still go up there and preach a powerful message and be jumping off the altar and people come crying and he's weeping. And like, How do you do that? How do, you know, and I, I would get madder at him because he could do it and I couldn't. 
Because if he was mad at me, my whole world was black. Like I didn't even feel like doing anything when my husband was mad at me. But when I was mad at him, oh well, things to do, places to go, people to see, gotta go. I didn't understand the men's mentality. That is a man's mentality. And I know that I was wounded, wounded, wounded for so many years because I failed to understand that's how God made men. Because as a woman, I lived off of my emotions. And my emotions just didn't get up and leave because I went from one room to the next. My emotions went with me from the house to the car to the church to the market to the store they went everywhere with me whereas with my husband they were in our bedroom and then he walked out and oh well he left him there that's why he would forget that he yelled at me in five minutes he would just forget he would raise his voice at me, and it would wound me horribly, terribly. I was there bleeding, and then all of a sudden he would just come up and say, you want some ice cream? And I would, <laughs> and I would look at him like, you just yelled at me five minutes ago. And he goes, that was five minutes ago. Get over it. And I would be like, I can't. He goes, yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. And we would be arguing over whether I could let it go or not. <laughs> I couldn't understand the mentality that he had. I would think he, I thought he was warped. I would tell him, you have a warped mind. How could you forget so easy? And he would always tell me, I choose to. I choose to. And when he would tell me that, I would like, how do you choose to do that? I, I, I didn't understand. It took me a long time to understand how men think and why he functioned the way he functioned. It was very, very difficult for me. A lot of you remember how many times my husband would come off the pulpit to kiss me? because I was mad at him. <laughs> and he would do it on purpose. <laughs> he would just say, and, and I would see him like, oh no, he's not, go oh no, he's not doing that, oh no. And I would be like, no, you know, he can't do this to me, he just can't. And then everybody would say, oh, he's so romantic. <laughs> He is such a great husband, and I would be looking at him like, oh. <laughs> because he forgot that I was mad. Well, I'm sure he knew it. He knew by the look on my face or the look in my eyes. But he chose to let it go. He just made choices. He made good choices. I didn't always make right choices because I wanted to hold on because I wanted to be right, because I wanted to, to finish it, because I wanted to make sure he understood me. <laughs> 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 
You think you're going, that you're original in all your stuff. You ain't original. <laughs> so when, when you make someone else responsible for your happiness, number one, you make yourself powerless. And secondly, you make that other person powerless. Because what you do when you expect your spouse to make you happy, you actually hand over your personal responsibility to someone else. And you tell them, not with words, but you tell them, you're the only one who can make me happy. You're the only one. And if they accept that responsibility, then they've accepted an impossibility. Because nobody can take that kind of responsibility for somebody else. Whenever someone else is totally responsible for someone else's happiness, they are powerless. Because we are not 100% up all the time. We make ourselves both powerless because we, we're giving them something they're not supposed to handle. Marriage is about growth and development. That's what marriage really is. It's about growth and development. And there is happiness in marriage, but marriage is not about being happy. There is happiness in marriage, but marriage is not about being happy. If you thought that you were just going to be happy, la, 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 the minute you married the person that you married, which you all thought when you were there with your vows, you're thinking, oh, I married the perfect person. Perfect. They're, we're going to be so happy. We're going to outdo every statistic that has ever been said and done. We're going to prove them wrong. Probably for the first day. Happiness is a good side effect of marriage. It's a good side effect. But you cannot, you cannot, if I could drum anything to your head, you cannot measure your marriage by how happy you are. That is not your measuring stick of how happy you are. Because if happiness is your measuring stick, then you will find yourself wanting to get out of your marriage when you're not happy. I'm just not happy, so this must not be the person for me. I don't feel like, oh, I'm madly in love with them today, so this must not be the marriage for me. So then we have to make a decision. And the decision is, well, do I stay in an unhappy marriage and just try to survive? Or do I leave an unhappy marriage? And you start going through all those changes in your head. Or the third thing, which is change the marriage into the relationship that you want. It takes work. Marriage is work. I mean, it is hard work. I think about the work, 
man, that's enough for me to stay single the rest of my life. Because it's just too much work. I put a lot of work into my marriage. I don't want to work that hard anymore. I'd rather work for God. So much easier. I did not say make the marriage happy because that is actually an impossible goal. You can't make your marriage happy because the more you chase happiness, the more it runs away from you. Learn to love your spouse. Learn to love the relationship. Learn to love your marriage, and then you're going to find happiness. It doesn't happen when the other person doesn't meet your needs. I remember when I, I felt like that in my marriage. I felt like, he's not making me happy anymore. Before, I mean, he, that was one of the things that I loved about my husband is that he always made me laugh. Sometimes he made me laugh when I didn't want to be laughed, when I didn't want to laugh. Um, but all of you always thought he was funny. I didn't always think he was funny. I mean, I would look at him and I'd go, oh, that was so dumb. <laughs> that, was just, that was just too dumb. And everybody would be rolling, you know, and I would be looking at him like, your mind is warped, your mind is... <laughs> but actually, that, that's one of the things that, that attracted me to him because he just thought so differently than a lot of the other guys. You know, most drug addicts thought, you know, I could just... I knew how they thought. They just thought one way, and he thought, like, way out there. And, uh, and that was really, like, fascinating to me because we would have these really intellectual conversations. I love to get into intellectual conversations with people who know something other than basic stuff. I have, uh, like, a little brother of mine who goes to Berkeley, and we get together about once a month, and, man, we talk about deep stuff and intellectual stuff, and it just, it's real stimulating for me. And so we would have these kind of conversations. And, um, but then I remember there was a time where it's like he was too busy to have intellectual conversations. It was, you know, being in ministry, and so there was like a part of me that wasn't growing, and a lot of, a part of me, because I had given him that power to make me happy. And when he wasn't making me happy anymore, I was thinking, well, maybe this wasn't, what I thought it would be. Maybe we're just not getting along here. I just don't feel like I used to feel about him. And you just start going through, and you begin to start judging your marriage on your feelings. And you can never, ever judge your marriage on your feelings because our emotions are so fickle. One day they're up, next day they're down. I mean, the sun could be shining and the weather could be perfect and you're still gloomy. Or the, sun, or the sun doesn't come out and it's overcast and you're happy. That's what I'm saying. You don't even know what you want. How can you expect your spouse to know what you want? Well, the next two that I want to just share with you, they're not really like myths, but, but these are things that people think of. Uh, or let's say they're, they're rationalizations that people use when they decide to give up on their marriage. The first thing is that they say they're going to change once we're married. And the statement that goes right along with that, they're going to change once they're married, is 
if I love you, I'm going to change. Because that's what we use on our spouse. If you loved me, you wouldn't do that. If you loved me, you would change that. And that's the ultimatum that we give to our spouses. And that statement is saying that I love you, but I don't like you the way you are. I just don't like you the way you are. And the problem is, is that when people marry with the intention of changing that person that they're marrying, you cross the line. You cross the line. It is unfair. It is unfair to marry someone to get into a relationship wanting to change them. It is just unfair. Because it, it tells the person, you're not okay the way you are, but I will make you okay. You're not good enough the way you are. I will make you good enough. And most people don't cooperate with somebody who wants to change them. I know I didn't. <laughs> I never cooperated with my husband who wanted to change me because I always thought, I know what's good for me. There is a lot of resistance. And usually if you're on a mission to change your spouse, you're going to have to abort the mission. Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> because you're going to find yourself very disillusioned and very frustrated. You cannot change your spouse. Marriage is about loving somebody just the way they are. While at the same time trying to be the best person you can be. It's accepting your spouse for who they are, just the way they are, and being willing to grow and stretch with them. That's what it's all about. And the last thing I wanted to share with you is the words that I've heard from a lot of people throughout the years that says, I love you, I'm just not in love with you. I have heard that statement so many times throughout my years. And the root of this statement is really confusion in our minds. Because we have been overwhelmed, we have been inundated through movies, through pictures, through stories, through our own fantasies that we have thought that romantic feelings are what we are to live with and to live on. That romantic, that feeling, the butterflies, the heart jumping, the, the skin tingling, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah, it felt like that before you were married. And now you've been married Two months, the feeling's gone. I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. That You're looking for the romantic type of feelings, and those romantic feelings never, ever stay. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the TV shows, um, uh, The Bachelorette or The Bachelor and all of that, you know what they've done to people? 
is they've actually brought into our homes and with our children and with our teenagers, they have brought the idea that if you put people in the right setting with a lot of different people, it's like the right setting, the right person, the right this, the right that, that romantic feelings will develop. And if you've watched, I've never watched uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but I know that there's some of you here who have. And you should already know the story. It doesn't last. It just doesn't last. Because those romantic feelings and those romantic surroundings are just feelings. They never are translated or they're never uh, put into the ability to make a long-term relationship. We think that falling in love are the feelings that we live off of in a marriage, and it's not. And that's why when we don't feel those romantic feelings, we feel like there's something wrong with our relationship. That's not true. Feelings are not wrong. Feelings are not invalid. But just because you don't feel them, just because there's an absence of them in your heart and in your life, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong. Just because you don't feel goosebumps, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong. Now, when you fall in love and you feel the infatuation and you feel this chemical thing that's going on, you feel, ah, oh, we're going to feel this the rest of our marriage. But when you begin to lose those romantic feelings, then that's when the work begins. That's when the work begins. I, I can, I remember... It was such a, a weird feeling, and I can remember it so clearly when my husband was sick, and I was in the room, and I was sitting there, and, uh, and he had lost a lot of weight. And, and he came in, and he, the way he just looked at me, he just gave me a certain look, and spouses know that look. And I remember just so clearly I'm sitting there, and I just got these little butterflies in my stomach. And I remember thinking, man, after all these years, he's still gives me butterflies. And I remember he came over and he kissed me. And, um, and I thought, wow, after all these years, he still makes me feel like that. And that was something special that we had. But there, that wasn't there all 27 years. There were times where it was like really absent. But most of the majority of the time, um, I'm so glad my husband was a romantic. Because if he depended on me, uh, it wasn't going to happen, but he was a romantic. And, and the, uh, the feelings were kept alive a lot because of him. The challenge of a marriage is not being in love with someone. The challenge is learning how to love the person that you're with. That's the challenge. And it's a lifelong challenge. Till death do you part. When you learn to love someone, then those feelings actually really do come. It's learning how to really love them. So the problem is not the feelings. The problem is you. I want to close with a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13. And you all know 1 Corinthians 13. But this is a paraphrase, and I think it goes right along with our marriages. It says, if I talk a lot about God, 
and the Bible and the church, but I fail to ask about your need 